So I want to bring us back to chapter 3 for a second. And if you remember, uh, we witnessed Jesus' encounter with a man named Nicodemus. If you remember all the way back then. And if you remember a few things about Nicodemus that were significant, was that he was a sophisticated Jewish religious man. And I'm sure he was a good man by most standards. And he was also a high-ranking official. He was part of the ruling class. So this man had a lot going for him. He was a pretty significant man in relationship to other men. (laughs) In this chapter, we're going to witness Jesus' encounter with a Samaritan woman. And at face value, they could not be more different, right? Uh, It's kind of like night and day, the difference between Nicodemus and this Samaritan woman. They are complete opposites at face value. The Samaritan woman is a Samaritan, (laughs) and she was considered a half-breed, a mixture of Jew and Gentile, which wasn't looked very favorable upon by the Jews. And worse than that, she appears to be a very well-known sinner. Her sinful exploits were well-known. She was quite popular for her sinfulness, or unpopular, I should say. Maybe the word infamous would work there. And in fact, Jesus will point out in verse 16 that she's a sinner. Jesus goes right out in plain daylight and announces her sin right to her. And so you might say she is as unimportant and as much an outcast as you could possibly be. But in reality, when you look at Nicodemus and you look at the Samaritan woman, they are exactly the same people. (laughs) They are as similar in every matter of significance as you could possibly be. And the similarity that they have is in their spiritual condition. They're exactly the same. They are both blind. And because of this, they are lost, they are hopeless, and they are empty. And the only difference would be that they are looking in different places to fill that emptiness, to find their way, and to gain some kind of hope in this world. And they are both blind to the fact that Jesus is everything they need. That is the real problem with both of these people, is they don't realize that Jesus is the answer to everything they need. Jesus is their only hope. And neither of them can comprehend the fact that they need God, that he is the answer. So really, these are exactly the same people. They're as similar as similar can be. There's really no difference. And we know they are similar because Jesus has the the same answer for both of them, doesn't he? Now, he might use different words. He might explain things slightly different way. But the message is exactly the same for both of them. He gives the same diagnosis, and we will see this in the next few weeks as we continue to look at the Samaritan woman. But Jesus says they are both blind, they are both hopeless, they are both lost, they are both empty. 
And he makes it clear that he is the one they need. The same message for both of them. Because they are the same people. And really, you and I are no different than the Samaritan woman or Nicodemus, are we? (laughs) We are the exact same people. And we will never be saved. We will never find hope. We will never fill our emptiness until we realize that. Until we realize that we are no different. That we're in the same condition. And that we need Jesus just as badly as they do. When it comes down to it, there is no difference between you and me or anyone else. We are in the same condition. So in this passage, Jesus is going to use the the, the common need for water, right? The common need that is universal, that everybody needs water to illustrate our spiritual, our greater spiritual need. And so hopefully we can understand as we look at Jesus explain the need for spiritual water, our need for spiritual water, by comparing it to our need for physical water. We need to see our great need for Jesus this morning. That is our greatest need for the moment. So the first six verses are background information. They explain how Jesus encounters this woman whom he offers living water to in verses 1 through 6. And Jesus wants to get out of Judea, and uh, it appears that he's becoming more popular. And so in order to avoid confrontation, in order to avoid problems, he thinks, I'm going to go to Galilee. And we see that in verses 1 through 3. And the route to Galilee requires that he passes through a town called Samaria. In verse 4, the first part there. And so Jesus has been journeying, and he's tired, and he's thirsty. And so he comes to a field in Samaria with a well, and he decides to take a break in order to find some refreshment. Well, that makes sense. It's exactly what you would do in verses 5 through 6. And we are told that he arrives at the sixth hour of the day. And apparently, and I don't know why, but if you add six hours onto that time, you'll get the right time, (laughs) according to our understanding. (laughs) And so it would have been 12, exactly noon in in, that day. And so, because it says six hours here, you add six to that, and it comes out 12. (laughs) And so it's the height of the day, it's noon, the sun is out, Um, everyone would have been hot and sticky. And so you can imagine what kind of physical state Jesus was in when he arrives at the well. It was the heat of the day. He was journeying for quite a while, and he was tired. And he needed a little break. And the the well is the best place to go to, times like that. And I want us to understand something here. That That the thirst that Jesus is experiencing, he willingly underwent in order to redeem us. And every once in a while, it's good to stop and think about what Jesus went through to redeem us. And a common thing like thirst is something that he willingly undertook on his mission to redeem us from our sin. And I want to remind us that we have a mission as well. And it's going to be costly. And I wonder sometimes if we have become comfortable in this world and forgotten our mission. And let us not forget that our mission is the gospel mission. Let us remember that it is costly and it's not going to be easy. But let us be about our mission that God has called us to be on. 
So it is at this point that a Samaritan woman happens to come to the well to draw water. And so because he was thirsty, Jesus was thirsty, and in order to start a conversation, Jesus asks her for a drink. In verse 7 through 8, now I'm going to get a drink on that note, because I'm thirsty. <clears throat> to understand the situation, we need to understand something about Samaritans, all right? So bear with me, I'm going to give you a hopefully very brief history lesson on the Samaritans, all right? A king named Omri named the capital of northern of, of northern kingdom Samaria, of the northern kingdom Samaria, sorry, back in 1 Kings 16, verse 24. And the Assyrians captured Samaria in 722 through 721 BC. And they deported all Israelites of importance and settled them in the land with foreigners in their place. And the foreigners intermarried with the surviving Israelites and continued to follow a form of their religious beliefs mingled with the foreign beliefs, all right? And so they're captured by the Assyrians, and so what they do is they take the people of importance, they bring them out of the land, and then they bring back into the land, along with some of the unimportant people, I guess, <laughs> and they bring foreigners back there, and they intermarry. And really, the importance of this is they try to cut off the devotion to their heritage. They want to destroy their devotion to the people so that they lose all semblance of who they are, right, by intermarrying. And so, as you can imagine, they kind of mingled the religious beliefs that they have with the foreign beliefs. And there kind of became this mixture that developed. And so after the exile, the southern kingdom, remember this is the northern kingdom that, we're, that we've been talking about, well the southern kingdom returned to their homeland and looked at the Samaritans not only as political rebels but also as racial half-breeds. And so they saw their religion as tainted. And so you can imagine this, this, um, this hatred, this unliking <laughs> of the other group, and both sides took on this great hatred towards each other. But there is something else on top of that that we're told about, about the Samaritan woman. Now, usually when women would go out to get a drink of water or to fill their, their buckets with water, they would come out either in the morning or they would come out at night. Right? Because it was hot in the middle of the day. But this lady comes out in the middle of the day. And on top of that, she comes out alone. They never went out alone. So she is in the heat of the day when no one goes out to get water. And she's alone. That's very strange. Now the reason is because she had public shame connected to her name. She was known as a sinner. And she didn't want to come across people. And you can understand why she wouldn't want to come across people when she is known for her sin. All of these factors made her someone that would have been someone you would want to avoid if you're a male Jew. <laughs> right? You could say that she had three strikes against her. She was a Samaritan, strike one. She was a known sinner, strike two. And she was a woman, strike three. And on top of this, the woman would have been able to identify who Jesus is immediately by the way he was dressed. 
that he was a Jew. And he would not have been a welcomed sight. You know, we often think of it the other way. But for this Samaritan, Jesus was not a welcome sight. Imagine how annoyed she must have been when she realized there's a Jew here. <laughs> That's right near the watering hole. She was out, I'm sure, desperately trying to avoid anybody like Jesus represented. And you can imagine her lowering her bucket to get some water, thinking, I'm not going to say anything. I'm just going to slip out of here after I get my water, and all will be well. But Jesus has other ideas. He messes everything up by asking her for a drink. And I want to remember that Jesus' request here is a real request. He's thirsty. But I think the ultimate purpose here is to get a conversation with this lady. That's a Samaritan woman. For him, it is an opportunity. It's a connecting point to talk to this lady. Now, even though water is a basic human need, yet for those who lived in such places, they would have understood this much better than we do today. You know, we turn on the faucet and just water comes comes out, right? Right? We take showers and we use all kinds of water. We flush toilets and water, water everywhere, right? Um, but for those in this day, water was not that prevalent. It wasn't that easy to get to. And so when Jesus uses water here to explain her spiritual need, we need to understand that they would have understood that much better than we would have understood it. So we need to go back and try to understand how important water is if we're to get the point Jesus is going to make here. Okay? This is the perfect illustration to describe her need. So what does Jesus say that she needs? Jesus says she needs living water. So the question is, what is this living water that Jesus tells her that she needs? And we need to understand that living water refers to the gift of the Holy Spirit that God promised to provide through the Messiah. And he is the abundant life in himself. The role of the Holy Spirit is to empower us to see the glory and the value of Christ himself. He is the fountain. In other words, he begins to reorient us to love the true living water. He takes away our blindness. He takes away our inability to see the glory of Christ so that we can see him and pursue him and find abundant life in him. So abundant life includes being able to see, love, and cherish Christ as the greatest treasure of all. And it satisfies in the sense that we see Christ as the all-satisfying treasure. And we drink and believe and trust in him. Now we see this most clearly. We see him as the greatest treasure in only one place. Right? When our eyes are opened up to see the greatness of what Christ accomplished on the cross. When we begin to understand what it means that he did for us on the cross, that he died for our sins as that sacrifice by which our sins are forgiven, the glories and the excellencies and the magnificence of Christ becomes overwhelming to us. And we begin to say, Christ, you are my all. You are my everything. 
There is no one else besides you, and we give our lives completely to him because we can do no other. And that's what abundant life really is. Everything Jesus is offering is simply in line with what God promised in the Old Testament that the Messiah would bring. Listen to Isaiah 12, verse 3. With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. Or Isaiah 44, verse 3. For I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour my spirit upon your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. But how does she get at this living water? That's the big question, isn't it? How does she get there? Well, Jesus tells her two things she needs to know if she is to get at this living water. She needs to know that this water is a gift from God, <laughs> right? That the Holy Spirit, the water, the living water here is a gift from God. It comes from God. It's his gift that he gives. And secondly, she needs to know or to see who it is who is speaking to her. She needs to know the one who is speaking to her. That's it. That's the requirement. She needs to know the one speaking to her, who he is, and that living water is a gift from God. And really, when it comes down to it, what this means is everything hinges on knowing who Jesus is. If, he, if she knew who Jesus is, she would have asked him, and he would have given her living water. <laughs> She needs to know who Jesus is, the one who's speaking to her, whom she has no idea who this person is. I want us to think of it this way. If you are parched and you come to a bubbling fountain of water, what are you going to do? You're going to drink. That's what Jesus is saying. If you knew who I was, you would have asked me now to give you the living water. You know, it's so simple, isn't it? You come to a bubbling water, you're thirsty, you drink. But you've got to know that that's a bubbling water. You've got to know what that is. We need to know who Jesus is. We'd have asked him. He'd have given us living water. Anyone who recognizes who Jesus is is going to ask him for a drink. He's going to find abundant life. Well, I went to college at Liberty University. And uh, the college president's name was Jerry Falwell. And everybody said that he was, or I heard all these stories, I should say, that he would give a, some kind of a scholarship if you asked him for one. He was a really nice guy, apparently. And so one time, I don't remember all the details, but Jerry Falwell was, just happened to be right near me. And my friend said that if you ask him, he'll give you a ride. And so I asked him for a ride. <laughs> Why not, you know? And so he, he just drove me around campus and told me all these things, and he said, don't tell anyone these things, and I told everyone because obviously he wouldn't tell me if he didn't care. And so, and so anyway, um, I never asked him for a scholarship. I never asked him for a scholarship. Why didn't I ask him for a scholarship? Because I didn't really know him that well. If I really knew him, I would have asked him for a scholarship, and I would have saved a bunch of money. But how much more is that true with Jesus? If we knew who he was, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. You've got to know who he is. And you will ask him and he would have given you living water. This means there's nothing more important than knowing who Jesus is. He is the one who gives us life. And you need to know who he is if you're to find life. 
This woman responds to Jesus' offer with unbelief. She is unable and unwilling, you need to understand this is an unwilling unbelief, to grasp the spiritual realities behind these words. Unbelief is always the problem. And we see that in verses 11 through 12. She refuses to believe. She cannot see the truth of what she is off, he is offering her. Now obviously the Samaritan woman does not understand what Jesus is offering her, but we might wonder, what does she think he is offering her? <laughs> and rea in, in reality, the words living water could mean just a free-flowing stream, some kind of free-flowing water versus a stagnant water, right? And who wants stagnant water? So she thinks he is saying, well, here's Jacob's well, but I have something else to offer you. I have some other free-flowing water, and I can give it to you, right? And so really, she has the same problem Nicodemus had, remember? He thought Jesus was saying, you must enter a second time into your mother's womb and be born again. And she's like, oh, here's some fresh water you're going to give me. Well, that, that's great, you know? I, who, who doesn't want fresh water, right? And this is why her response is almost comical here. In her mind, Jesus was offering to give her water from a well that was over 100 feet deep. You see, the well that Jacob had, had supposedly dug here was over 100 feet deep, and he didn't even have anything to get water from. And so it's like, who do you think you are? Not only are you claiming that you can get to this living water, but also you don't even have a bucket to draw the water from. Are you some superhuman? <laughs> I think she thinks he's an imposter at this point, a swindler, a fraud, or a pretender. What a silly man who thinks he can get this water without a bucket. So why is she thinking this way? Because she's unable to grasp the words that Jesus is saying. She's blind. And that's the bi biblical diagnosis of every single person here. Naturally. Ephesians 2 verse 1 through 3 says, All mankind are spiritually dead. So we're more than blind. We're dead. We can't perceive spiritual realities. We have no interest in the things of Christ. He means nothing to us. Paul explains the spiritual condition further in 1 Corinthians 2 verse 14. And think about this. This is who you are. This is who you were. This is who I was. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. She is earthly. She is worldly. She cannot comprehend spiritual realities even if they were put right before her face. Anybody who does not think they need Jesus, what Jesus is offering, is in the same condition that this lady is in. Everybody who does not think that Jesus is the greatest treasure, is what we need more than anything, is everything, is in the same condition that this lady is in. We are more interested in advice on relationships, on our jobs, on our entertainment that keeps us busy throughout this life. We don't think we need spiritual life, but only our physical, um, present physical perceived needs. And that's what it means to be dead, and that's what it means to be blind. How many go to church who think like this? And so they're constantly disappointed because church doesn't meet our physical and emotional needs. Such people will never turn to Jesus for salvation until their eyes are opened and they are brought to life. So notice, Jesus does not give up with this woman 
when he notices her inability to comprehend what he is saying. Rather, he continues to try to explain that she really needs what he is offering her. In a similar way, Jesus works to convince us that we need what he has to offer. And that's really the whole Bible, isn't it? Throughout the whole Bible, you're not okay. I am what you need. I am your salvation. Look to me. That's really the summary of the whole Bible. You need me. And that's verses 13 through 14 we see this. It's as if Jesus points at the water in the well and said, you drink this water and you will be thirsty again. Almost immediately. You drink this water from this well and you're going to be thirsty almost immediately. And this is true of everything that we try to satisfy ourselves with in this world. Every earthly source of life and satisfaction will always fail. It might seem to satisfy for a moment, but pretty soon we'll find ourselves thirsty again. No matter how much you drink of earthly things, you will only be thirsty again the next matter. In contrast to that which does not satisfy, notice that Jesus turns around and says, that if you drink the water that I will give you, you will never be thirsty again. It will well up. Think of a welling up water, continually bubbling up over and over unto eternal life. Wow, that's satisfying, isn't it? <laughs> that's what we need is eternal life. Jesus is a never-ending water bubbler. He will give life that is eternal in nature. He will quench your thirst forever. Whoever makes a claim anything like this, no one does. Because no one can back it up. An interesting story in Genesis 26, 15 is where the Philistines kept covering up Abraham's wells that he keeps digging. He keeps digging these wells and the Philistines keep filling them in, right? Well, they covered the wells with dirt so that they couldn't have water anymore and get water from there. But Jesus promises this will never happen. Nothing can bulldoze or stop this living water from flowing forever. Now, Jesus does give a requirement here for receiving the water, doesn't he? He says you must drink, and drinking is equivalent to believing. You must believe, you must drink of this water if your thirst is ever to be satisfied. Now, Jesus is not calling her to perform some religious duties to get this water, nor does he put some high price tag on this water, a certain amount of money, right? To receive it, he says, whoever drinks, whoever believes. This means anyone can drink, no matter your status, your rank, your gender, your wealth, your poverty. Jesus says, just drink, and I will satisfy. Now, the great problem is that, like this woman, we're constantly trying to satisfy ourselves and our thirsts in places that cannot satisfy. And I want us to understand that this is the exact definition of sin, this is exactly what sin is. You know, the woman tried to fill her life in a specific way here, doesn't she? And I read it at the very end, right? She tries to fill her life with men, with relationships, right? Through marriages. In verse 18, she had five husbands and was living with one that was not her husband. And Jesus points that out. In a similar way, we try to fill our lives with money, fame, power, activity, sex, rock and roll, you name it, <laughs> with everything. And though for a moment they might seem to satisfy, the next moment we find that they are empty and, can, and will always let us down. And just like physical water, we'll always be thirsty again. They are not capable of satisfying your thirst nor my thirst. All these things are broken cisterns, right? They're muddy water. 
They're not satisfying. One commentator describes them like a Chinese dinner, right? You go to those Chinese buffets. You fill yourself up, but just an hour or two later, if even an hour or two later, you're starving again because it went right through you. It couldn't satisfy you. A.W. Pink summarizes the human condition this way. Just listen to these words. Whether he articulates it or not, the natural man, the world over, is crying, I thirst! Why this consuming desire to acquire wealth? Why this craving for honors and plaudits of this world? Why this mad rush after pleasure? The turning from one form of it to another with persistent and unweary diligence. Why this eager search for wisdom, the scientific inquiry, this pursuit of philosophy, this ransacking of the writings of ancients and this ceaseless experimentation by the moderns? Why the insane craze for that which is novel? Why? Because there's an aching void in the soul. Because there is something remaining in every natural man that is unsatisfied. This is true of the millionaire equally as much as the pauper. The riches of the former bring no real contentment. It is as true for the globetrotter equally as much as of the country rustic who never has been outside the bounds of his native country. Traveling from one end of the earth to the other and back again fails to discover the secret of peace. Over all the cisterns of this world's providing is written in letters of ineffaceable truth. Whosoever drinks of this water shall thirst again. (laughs) And the prophet Jeremiah described the sin problem perfectly in Jeremiah 2 verse 13. Let me read these words. This perfectly describes the sin problem that Jesus is describing here. My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. There are two evils that we've committed, and the two evils we always commit. We reject God as our satisfying, overflowing, eternal goodness. The living water, we've rejected the living water. And the second evil that we always commit is that we replace God with gross, stagnant water of broken things. That is our sin problem. (laughs) This is everyone's problem, and it is a great evil. It is the great evil in this world. Not only is it a great evil, but there is nothing good that can come from it, only death. Jesus claims to be the one who alone can satisfy your longing soul, and he does so by giving us himself. Nothing else could satisfy, nothing else will ever satisfy anyone. St. Augustine famously wrote at the beginning of his confessions, these words I'm sure every one of us heard, but we need to hear again. You have made us for yourself, and our heart is restless until it rests in you. The only answer is God himself. If we rejected God, that is the problem, and all that is left is broken cisterns, then the answer is God himself. He is the living water. He is the only hope. He is the salvation. You might say, but I don't always feel satisfied as a Christian. It does not seem to work for me. What do you mean by saying, I will never thirst again? Well, we need to understand that when Jesus offers us living water, he's not saying your trials in life are going to end and that life is going to become easy. In fact, when we become a Christian, we begin to take up our cross and follow him. Life becomes very difficult. We start fighting sin. That's hard. It's not easy, right? But when when Jesus offers living water, he's speaking of the gift of the Holy Spirit, whom he would send to empower us to see and love and cherish Christ for who he is who is the real fountain of living water. In other words, he begins to reorient us to love the true living water, 
rather than the cisterns of this world. The Holy Spirit makes Christ known to us through his word so that we love and cherish him. In this way, the cisterns of this world begin to lose their appeal to us. When we see Christ and love him and cherish him, the things of this world begin to lose their appeal. And that's where life is found. When the world begins to lose its appeal, that's when we begin to see what real life is and to experience real life in Jesus. One day we will enter eternity where there will be nothing forever blocking our enjoyment of Christ. We will see him fully as he is forever and enjoy him. And that's what eternal life is. And that's the abundance of goodness. We will never thirst again. The Samaritan woman continues to show her inability to grasp what Jesus is offering in verse 15. And really, she illustrates our lack of ability to understand our need for the gospel. This woman is exactly like you and me in regards to her spiritual condition. Let us not look at her or Nicodemus and think we are any different because we're really not. We are the same people and we have the same problem. We're in the same condition. And the way Jesus approaches and speaks to this woman is no different than the way God speaks to us through his word. Notice, we would never come to Jesus. Just like this woman, she had no interest in Jesus. She was coming for some physical water, trying to avoid people. But Jesus comes to her. <laughs> Jesus goes to her. And Jesus speaks the words of life. And we find these words of life from whether preaching or the word of God or we open the Bible and we read it. They're the words of life. Or our friends come to us and they speak to us the words of life. That's how Jesus speaks to us and shows us that he is the fountain of living water. He reveals to us himself to us as being our greatest need. And the words of God always reveal to us that he is of greatest worth. He is the fountain, and everything else is worthless and will lead us to emptiness. And he tells us that he can meet our need and our thirst. And our only hope is that God opens up our eyes daily to see our great need for him so that our souls would be satisfied in him. So if you're to be saved, you must first come and drink. Isaiah 55, verse 1 through 3 is an invitation for each one of us. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live and I will make with you an everlasting covenant. My steadfast, sure love for David. We need to see Christ and come to him. Believe in him. After drinking, then you must constantly drink from the never-ending supply of water that he supplies. This is what faith looks like. To constantly look to Jesus by faith and be filled. David describes what this looks like in Psalm 42, verse 1. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. Hopefully this is what our lives as believers look like, constantly coming to Jesus in his word, looking to him as a deer panting for streams of living water, for there you will find is your satisfaction every day. And we need to look and look and look at his word every day and pray and pray, God, open my eyes up so that I can live the abundant life today. But that's not it. God promises in Revelation 7, 17 that one day we'll experience the fullness of this living water. For the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd 
and you will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear for their eyes. There'll be nothing ever for eternity that will block our seeing and enjoying Christ as our greatest treasure forever. That's what eternity is. So finally, Jesus instructs us here on how we should talk to people as well about this salvation. People don't need to hear your good advice. People don't need to hear your relationship tips. They just don't need to hear those things. They might crave for you to tell them about them, but that's not what they need. Jesus could have helped this Samaritan woman in so many different ways, given her marriage advice for sure, right? Or offered her psychological help with failed relationships, or helped her with some help, self-help device. But none of that is what she needed. The greatest need every one of us has is to know God. People need to hear about the Messiah, the living water. And we are only doing anybody any good if we tell them about Jesus Christ. Therefore, we need to tell people about Jesus and how much they need him. At the end of the day, all we have to give people is Jesus, and he is all people need. And you can leave the results in God's hand. Let's pray. Dear Father, Lord, as we live in this world, we find ourselves more and more and more thirsty. This world is so empty, it is so devoid. The older we get, the more we find that the cisterns of this world have nothing to offer us. But Lord, we struggle so much recognizing the worth of Christ Jesus. We have a difficult time seeing you as our great treasure. And Lord, that is the battle every day that we face. So, dear Father, I pray that you would help us to see you. Open up our eyes, Lord. Open up our ears. Open up our hearts that we might beat for you once again, that we might hunger and thirst for you once again as we were created to do. Lord, help us this week to live as those who recognize who you are. And God, I pray that out of our mouths would be songs of praise to you. I pray that we would speak the words of life to those who are dying and thirsty and don't know it, to those around us. And Lord, may you give us this abundant life. And Lord, may we wait with eager anticipation for your return, where we will forever enjoy the goodness of God without end. In Jesus' name, amen.